You guys can be seated. Welcome to our third night of week of prayer. Um, this is like usually like the the hump day, and Pastor Richard was saying, like, you know, Wednesday is when the numbers dwindle, but it has not. So praise God for that. Um, I'm actually really really thankful that the numbers have not dwindled because. Um, Tonight is probably the night of week of prayer that I personally was looking most forward to. Um, our speaker, his name is Eugene Kim, and um, if you guys have been here other nights this week, there's been like one baby that has been very faithfully attending our week of prayer, and that baby is his son, and um, his son Zach and his wife Anna are in the baby room in the back. Hi. <laughs> okay. Um, and um, Eugene is an ER doc. And he was a medical student at Loma Linda. So for you students, like, he knows your sufferings. Like, he has wept the same tears that you have wept. And if you haven't wept those tears, maybe you will in the future. Um, Eugene, when he was a med student, um, when he started medical school, I was studying to be a pastor at La Sierra. And I knew him from before that because I was a student pastor at his home church at Mount, in Mountain View. And um, I had just transferred to La Sierra from PUC, and I had no friends. And um, Eugene and some of his med school classmates, they kind of became, like, my closest friends in SoCal. And um, this is, like, a really long time ago now. Um, but, like, we started, like, small groups for campus ministry because there was no small groups at the time. And um, Eugene is one of my friends whom I have so much, like, admiration and respect for him, like, as a Christian. Um, he's really impacted my faith. And um, when we were brainstorming names for a week of prayer, like, his is the one and only name that actually came to me. And I'm not saying this to, like, hype Eugene up as a person, but it's really so that you guys understand, like, why he's sharing today or, like, why I asked him. Um, when Eugene was an undergrad at UCLA, um, I remember he, was sh he shared with me that, like, he would go to these prayer meetings that would, like, last, like, all night, right? Like, all night. And when he shared that with me, I was like, you can do that. <laughs> like, you can, like, pray all night. And um, when he was a student in Loma, at Loma Linda, um, he has, like, he, oh, he still lives in that house. So his walk-in closet was, like, his prayer room. So he would spend time in that closet just on his hands and knees, like, calling out to God. And um, he has personally impacted my prayer life so much. And uh, when I asked him, he was like, wait, like, my prayer life is not where it once was, or it's not where I wish it was, you know, and, like, I think we can all relate to that as Christians, right, like, there was a time where we felt like we were so close to God, or, you know, like, man, I was, like, communicating with God so regularly, and then there are seasons of life where, because of the busyness of life, or whatever, it doesn't, it's not like that, but I feel like there is still so much for us to learn in, like, the faithfulness of God in Eugene's life. And so, sorry, that was, like, really, really long, but I just, context. Um, so, if you guys will welcome Eugene with me, um, I think he has a lot to share with us tonight. Thanks, Jeannie. 
All right. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well tonight. Um, Junie, Pastor Junie already kind of talked a lot about um, what I was going to talk about, my hesitance in uh, talking to you guys today, um, not feeling qualified. Um, but uh, even though I don't feel like I'm like this, you know, superhero prayer warrior or anything like that, um, I do think that uh, God has shown me um, through my experiences how he does answer prayers, uh, even when I'm not faithful. Um, he's been faithful, and he's shown me how he loves me through prayers. Um, so I want to share a little bit of that with you guys. Um, and hopefully, coming from a non, like, you know, pastor position or, you know, anything like that. Maybe uh, you guys will relate to not always being in the closest relationship with God, but still wanting to try. Um, So, uh, before, when I, as I'm starting my message, um, I just want you guys to remember this number, 3.007, all right? I'm going to come back to it at the end. Um, So, one of the first memories I have of God answering prayers was when I was in, like, middle school. So in Mountain View, our K-8 through Adventist school um, is a few miles away from our high school at the academy. Um, We had the same band teacher, and the high school academy needed trombones. So I was in middle school, but I played trombone. So the band teacher asked me, hey, do you want to play with the the high school band? I was like, sure, why not? Um, So he'd pick me up in the mornings. Um, he'd take me to the high school. They practiced during zero period before classes started. After band practice, he would drop me off at my elementary school. It's only, it isn't that far away, right? Um, every once in a while, he was too busy or he was running late, so um, he'd call my mom and say, oh, I can't take him today. Can you take him? One of those times, I showed up to band, and there was a sign on the door saying, practice canceled. So I was like, oh, no, I'm fifth or sixth grade. I ran back out to the parking lot holding my trombone. My mom was gone, nowhere to be seen. So I was like wandering around, it's 7 in the morning, nobody else is there on campus, because everybody else in the band already knew. Um, I was like, what do I do? It was before the time when cell phones were very common, I definitely didn't have one. Um, The office wasn't open, so I was wandering around and I was like, oh man, I I, I was praying to God, like, God, what do I do? Um, While I was praying a few minutes later, I heard my name, Eugene. I was like, what the heck? Um... One of my classmates' mom was dropping my classmate's older sibling off at high school, and she recognized me, and she saw that I looked very lost, very confused, and she's like, hey, do you need a ride to school? And I was like, thank you, God, right? And that was my first experience that I remember of God answering my prayers, right? So it wasn't necessarily like, you know, I wasn't in life-threatening danger. I'm sure when the office opened up, I would have been able to use the phone and call my mom. Um, but this was the first experience where God was showing me, you know what, I'm going to answer your prayers. Right? Um, I think, uh, so in college, uh, as Pastor Junior mentioned, I was part of a, a campus ministry. I went to undergrad at UCLA. Um, I joined a non-denominational uh, campus, uh, Christian campus ministry. Um, and I intentionally did this because I wanted to kind of step outside of the Adventist world and, and see what Christianity was like elsewhere. Um, and I actually met Keon through that, um, that ministry as well. He was part of a different campus, um, but that's where I first met him as well. Um, 
And uh, I think as part of my spiritual life, um, praise or music has always been a very integral part of being able to connect with God. Um, reading the Bible and studying the Bible was also a way that I felt like I got a lot out of, of connecting with God. But prayer was not one of my strengths. Um, and I think knowing that God sent me to this ministry. Um, so one of the things that they would do is every morning, Monday through, one, uh, Monday through Friday, um, they would have what they called morning prayer. Um, 7 a.m., they would meet on campus um, because most classes, most the earliest classes at UCLA start at 8. So we would gather together, read the Bible, pray together for about 45 minutes or so. Um, on Friday nights, um, is kind of what Junie was alluding to, they had something they called Gethsemane prayer. So the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Jesus prayed there all night with, his, uh, with a few of his select disciples um, before he was crucified. Um, it started at 10 p.m., and it was basically all of the Southern California campuses that had this uh, KCCC, or Korea Campus Crusade for Christ, um, on their campus. They would all gather together at, ch- at this one church, and they would pray together. Um, there was probably about, on average, when I was there, about three to 400 college students meeting together every night. And it would start at 10 p.m., and most of the time, it would go all the way till about 1 or 2 a.m. So it was long. Um, it wasn't all just praying. There was praise involved, there was a message, um, and there were various other things, but usually at least an hour of that involved with uh, praying. Um, so at a time, and I don't know if they, intention, they probably intentionally picked this time, but at a time when a lot of our college friends would be out partying um, is the time that they chose for us to have this prayer time. Um, and the, the ministry that uh, I was a part of was very passionate. Um, I don't know if anybody has had experience going to other uh, Korean churches outside of the Adventist world, um, but I think going back to even like a lot of like Buddhist influence in the past, they tend to pray out loud and very passionately. Um, the first time I experienced this, and like we were gathered in a circle, and they're like, let's pray, and all of a sudden, I heard all this noise coming out from everywhere. I was like, oh my goodness, this is a cult, right? <laughs> I got freaked out. Um, but I began to appreciate the, their passion that they had for praying. Um, and uh, at this Gethsemane prayer, like, it was an hour plus every, every week. Um, so first, it freaked me out. After that, after I got kind of used to it, um, it started to really annoy me. Because for an hour long, there's people yelling I'm trying to pray to God, and I'm trying to concentrate. And in my head, all I was thinking is, God can hear you no matter how loud you pray, right? Um, And it was interrupting my ability to pray to God. So uh, that was kind of the next step. Um, And then slowly over the, I don't know, maybe next like three to six months or so is when I started to learn to block out the noise and be able to focus and start to pray. Um, and the prayer times were, were led, so there would be a, a, a samonim, or the pastor's wife was up in front, and there would be specific topics that they would have us pray for for a few minutes at a time, so it was guided. Um, so it wasn't just like random open prayer. Um, and it helped me to realize there's a bigger, a bigger perspective um, on prayer than just asking for what I want from God. Um, I learned to pray for our, each of our individual campuses um, and our ministries. Um, I learned to pray for events around the world. Um, 
And mostly what I learned was praying to ask God to see with his eyes and to feel with his heart and to teach me what I should be praying for. Um, I went on a mission trip with them, um, and uh, they have something in the summer, right before we go to the actual country that we're going to, they go to Korea, and the uh, Campus Crusade for Christ um, organization in Korea is the, is the largest cam- Christian, uh, campus, Christian campus organization. Um, there's over 100,000 students um, that are members And at that summer camp or retreat, there was probably, I think there was over 10,000 students there. And then after the retreat, um, for people who wanted to, they have something they call a beggar's retreat. And basically, they send us out in teams of about 10 or 12. um, And outside of the team leader, they would take away our phones. They took away our money. um, And basically, they sent us out into, like, the far countryside in Korea. And they told us, oh, you have to go around uh, witnessing and depending on God to provide for you for those three days. So even now when I think about it, that sounds kind of crazy to me that they would (laughs) send all these students out um, into the wild like that. Um, But during those those times, there was a lot of um, stories you hear about people getting their prayers answered. Some things as simple as, like, some people wanted... They wanted Western toilets. They didn't want, like, the squatters that are, you know, um, most commonly in the, at least in the countryside at the time. Um, they wanted a Western toilet they could sit on comfortably um, and the other random things like that. Uh, one of the nights that uh, we were on the retreat, um, we were able to find shelter at a small local church. And the next morning, they asked us to help advertise for their VBS. So we went to, like, a local elementary school, um, and as students were coming into school, um, we were singing like praise songs outside, handing out flyers, um, and the church, to thank us, um, asked us to, uh, or they said they're going to take us out for lunch, knowing that, you know, we had no money and we didn't have any food. Um, so the one thing when I was flying to Korea um, that I really wanted to eat was jajangmyeon. I remember the delivery jajangmyeon, and I knew at the end of the trip, when everything is over, I'm going to be staying at my aunt's house for a few days, and that's the first thing I'm going to ask her to buy for me. When we walked into uh, the restaurant, there was tables just full of jajangmyeon at every seat, right? This was not something that I had prayed to God for or asked God for. Um, I, I was so shocked because... I, I didn't think it was important enough to ask God about. Um, it was just a, like a fleeting thought in my head and something that I could get later uh, without needing help. Right? Um, later on that trip, we went to Mongolia. My team went to Mongolia. Um, and uh, what we would do is we'd go out to the countryside. Mongolia is a pretty large country. Um, and there's only about 2 million people living in the country. I think now it's about 3 a million live in the capital city, and the rest of the half is scattered throughout the whole country. There's a lot of um, nomadic animal herders, so they need a lot of land to graze, and they usually um, settle down in one area for a few weeks or months at a time in uh, small family groups um, until the, the grass is grazed. Um, it's a beautiful country, um, very untouched. Um, you know, like the old windows uh, wallpaper with like the rolling green hills and like the bright blue sky? That's what Mongolia looks like. Um, and uh, we would go 
and check out, uh, or we will go to um, just randomly driving around and then start, uh, when we see a family group, um, basically uh, talk to them about God. Um, the Mongolian culture is very hospitable, um, so they would bring us into their tents or where they live. Um, they're called gares. So this is kind of what they look like. So there'd be groups of like, you know, three or four of them. Um, and typically their culture, they had a, a goat milk tea um, that the eldest person would pour into a bowl. He would drink from it. Usually the uh, eldest male of honor or our mission team leader would be sitting uh, to his left and he'd just pass it around. Um, there was one time in the, when we were in the middle of the fields, uh, in the middle of nowhere, um, when I started, for whatever reason, craving soda. Now, there's no stores, there's nothing, <laughs> nowhere to get soda from, um, but I was really tired of that goat milk. Uh, and uh, the next day, we stopped at one of these, uh, the families, and we sat down in a circle in the gear, and the, uh, the head of the household um, called his son to like go out, and the, the son ran out, and he came back with a bottle of soda. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, right? Um, and then uh, he poured it into the bowl, he drank from it, he handed it to our team leader, and then instead of passing it around the circle, he said something to his son, and the son took it from our leader and handed it directly to me. I was about a third of the way through the circle. So I, you know, I gladly drank from it, and I thought it was kind of weird. And then when I was about to pass it or, uh, around um, the, the team, or the head of the household once again said something to the son and, and they took the bowl back. I don't know if I drank too much of it or what it was, but I was the last person to drink from I was the only one out of our team besides our team leader that drank from it. <laughs> um, so once again, God was answering a, a wish, I guess, um, that I hadn't bothered to pray about because I didn't think it was that important. So what did these two experiences show me? Uh, I think it showed me that God wants to answer our prayers. Um, a lot of times I think we think we need to fight this like terrible battle. We have to struggle with God. We have to wrestle with him and like beg him and hope that he'll throw us a few, a few scraps of, of blessing, you know. Um, and I think not only does he want to answer our prayers, he really badly wants to answer our prayers. Um, and not just answer the ones that I ask for, but even more than what I want or what I'm asking for, right? More than I can even imagine. And that's what he's asking that's what I learned from that trip. And um, I think from that, he was also telling me, just keep asking for more. Like, why stop there? Ask for more and more and more. I'm still going to give you more than what you can ask for, right? Um, so <clears throat> um, I'm, an, I'm an ER doctor. Um, I wasn't the traditional pre-med student. Uh, when I went to undergrad, um, I told my parents, the one thing I'm never going to do is go into medicine, right? I said, uh, it was too many years, it cost too much money and debt, and it was very, it was too stereotypical Korean SDA, right? Um, I grew up in the Bay Area, and my dad is an engineer. I wanted to be an engineer. Um, there was people at our church, for some of the older people that may know what Palm Pilots are. So there were people at my church that worked for um, the Palm Pilot company, and they had prototypes of this thing before it ever came out on the market. And I was like, that is really cool. That's what I want to work on, right? So I started as a combined electrical engineering computer science major. I realized I'm not good at, very good at programming, so I dropped the computer science part. Um, 
And then with the electrical engineering, I wanted to do a biomedical engineering track because I heard that was a very growing field. So I started taking some science classes, but I really, really did not like engineering. My friends kept telling me, just wait till you finish all the lower division classes. They're all boring. Once you get to the upper divs, it's so much more interesting and very practical. Um, I got to my third quarter of my third year, and I still hated it. I hated it worse than when I was in my lower division classes, so I decided to drop, or to drop that major. I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, but that summer, I was actually supposed to go on a mission trip with that campus ministry with Kihan um, as part of our team, uh, but my parents wanted, really wanted me to go with our church. Um, and our church went on a medical mission trip to Romania uh, with uh, Peter Gregory. And uh, I had been on a number of mission trips before in the past, um, doing various things, building houses in Mexico, uh, BBS in uh, various countries, and just going in, around and witnessing. Um, but when I went on this medical mission trip, what I saw was that there was people pouring through the doors looking for help. And when we helped them, they were so grateful, and they started asking us why we were there. We didn't have to go to them and say, hey, listen to this new, like, good news about Jesus. They were asking us, and they wanted to know why. Um, and I saw that uh, medicine could be such an effective tool to reach people. Um, and I felt like during that trip, that was when God uh, called me to, to go apply for med school. Um, but there was a big problem, because after three years of engineering courses— um, at UCLA, they grade pretty tough. The average GPA for a uh, graduating engineer there is about 2.6. Um, and I was not very much better than the average engineering student. Um, on top of that, I had no uh, experience in any research in medical um, things. I had no you know, volunteer work at a hospital. Um, my science courses by the end of my third year were two years, beyond, uh, two years in the past. My classes there, three, four, five hundred students each. And I never went to office hours, so I didn't know any of the professors to get a good letter of recommendation. Um, and I would have to take an extra year of studying just to finish all the prereqs to go into to medicine. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, the summer between my fourth and fifth year of school is when I took my MCATs. Uh, my first practice test before they started classes, I came out of there thinking, man, I killed that test. It was so easy. This is going to be amazing. Um, I remember getting my score, I think the next day or the day of, or maybe the first day of classes, and I got a 17. So for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with the MCAT scoring system, 45 is a perfect score. Uh, 30 is a pretty decent score that should at least get you, uh, get your foot in the door for uh, interviews and things like that. So I was nowhere near. Um, they would test every two weeks um, after classes, the next two testing cycles, my score didn't change. It's like 17, 18, I think back down to 17, something like that. So at that point, I started getting really frustrated and discouraged. I was like, what am I doing? This maybe isn't cut out for me. Um, a lot of the science courses, because it had been so long, I, uh, I, for I had forgotten a lot of it. So I was reteaching myself from scratch, basically. Um, and I remember there was one time after you know hours of studying for weeks at a time, um, where I just, like, broke down. I was like, I vented at God for, like, an hour. I was like, why am I doing this? Like, is this really what you want me to do? Is this you showing me that this is what I shouldn't be doing? And it was, you know, just my crazy thoughts that this is what you wanted. Um, like, 
I was, yeah, I was very stressed out. Um, but at some point when I was praying, um, I felt like this sense of peace. And I felt like God was telling me, look, this is what I called you to do. It doesn't matter what your scores are. If I want you to get in, you'll get in. And uh, that, uh, that really hit me. Um, it, it gave me the encouragement to keep going on um, and to just leave control of the situation to him because I realized I couldn't do it on my own strength. I had tried for weeks, and my score hadn't changed. Um, and after I prayed that prayer, um, as, we kept, as I kept studying, um, the next cycle, my score jumped like eight points, and it just kept improving. Um, and I think God was like holding back those scores to, to show me that I need to trust in him, that it wasn't based on my studying or my hard work that I was going to get in. Right? Um, the next hurdle was getting recommendation letters. So it had been a long time since I took those science courses, um, and the first professor I uh, emailed was an engineering physics professor. I'd done pretty well in the class. Uh, he asked me to send, me my personal, or send him my personal statement and a copy of my transcript and things like that. Um, and as I was walking to the office, I was super nervous, and like, my hands were getting sweaty. And I was like, oh, man, he's not going to remember me at all. Like, why am I doing this? Um, so he sat me down, made some small talk, and then uh, asked me about you know, why I want to go to med school. I talked to him about the medical mission trip and uh, how that made a deep impression on me. And then he asked me, uh, you know, your grades are pretty low. Like, how do you expect to get in? <laughs> I was like, well, you know, since I changed my major, my, my GPA's gone up. You know, I've been doing a lot better in my science courses. Um, you know, my MCAT score turned out, you know, pretty decent. Um, and I was talking about all these things that I've been trying to do to improve my, my application. And... Uh, he like looked at me for a second, and he said, all those things are good, but what you really need to do is pray. And that blew me away. This was a science, professor, science and engineering professor at a public university, and the one thing that he told me to do was to pray. Um, and it was once again God reminding me that I need to trust in him, and I need to depend on him. It's not by my strength. So... Through all of this, um, I got into the post-bac biomed program here at Loma Linda. Um, it's kind of like a one-year course that uh, gives you like a trial to see if you know, maybe you could be cut out for med school. Um, while I was in the program, we kept asking, like, what grades do we need to get to get in? Like, they're just, oh, just try, do well, you know, try hard, and then uh, we'll see. They never gave us any sort of like definitive like, cutoff or anything like that. And I struggled in the beginning. It was hard. Um, I didn't really develop good study habits until I started the program. I had just gotten by um, in undergrad without really trying, uh, without studying uh, with discipline. Um, but slowly I started to improve, and uh, at the end of the year, uh, there's four of us. And in the summer, like May or something, my other three uh, classmates all got calls that they were accepted. So I was waiting for my call. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Every time my phone rang, like my heart was like pounding, and like my hands were sweating. The call never came, and I was like, oh, maybe the accepted people they get a call, and the people they reject, they just send a letter, you know. Um, but during that time, I prayed and I prayed. I was like, God, I don't know if this is what you want, but I've honestly tried the best that I can with what I have. If this is your will, then let it be so. Um, I'll, I'll 
serve you with medicine, with, you know, my role in medicine. But if it's not, that's okay, too. Uh, finally, I called them Tuesday because I couldn't wait any longer. And uh, <laughs> apparently they had an old phone number and they've been trying to get a hold of me all weekend. And they're like, you're in. We thought you decided to, ch- to go somewhere else and we we're about to give your spot away to somebody else. <laughs> um, so despite all of the obstacles against me, I somehow ended up in med school, and it was God's will, or it was, it was God's leading. Um, Pastor Juni also talked about how we started a small group um, when I was in medical school with some of my close friends, um, and that's really what got me through school. Um, a lot of us, a lot of times we would struggle, um, a lot of times our small group sessions were just pretty much venting sessions about how life sucks and school sucks and why are we doing this, um, but it always come down to, let's remember why we're here why we decided to go into this. Um, so Pastor Junie was part of the small group. Some of you guys may know, like, Elliot Yu. Um, he was a small group pa- or a, a youth pastor for a while as well. He was part of that as well. Um, and our small group, when we formed it, we signed a contract. And uh, we committed to meeting every week, no matter what, um, as long as we weren't, like, you know, obligations like rotations and things like that. Um, and even if it was just going to be for like five minutes, we were going to meet every week and commit a little bit of time to God. Uh, even during finals weeks, we would just meet, share really quickly, and then break off to do studying. Um, one side effect I received from doing the post program was I got a very solid foundation in the core science courses, and it allowed me to be pretty successful during medical school, um, and it allowed me to pursue a specialty that I wanted and be able to get accepted into it as well. Um, and then uh, I went away to residency for, uh, in Michigan for emergency medicine, and then I decided to do a global health uh, fellowship for a couple years, which brought me back to Loma Linda, and that's where I started dating my, my now wife. Um, and now we have a son. Um, so I know I've been talking for kind of a long time. Hopefully you guys are still following. Um, so my son now is my biggest reminder to pray. Um, when my wife was pregnant, the one thing we kept praying for was just please let him be healthy. And then when he was born and we found out he was healthy, our b- main prayer um, every time we pray is teach us to be good parents. Uh, teach us how to raise Zach uh, to follow you. Um, and he loves to pray. I don't, know if he, I don't know if he understands what prayer is yet. He's only like 21 months old. But every time when we sit down to eat, if we're about to eat, he goes, uh-uh, 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 and then he goes like this. He reminds us to pray. You know? And then if, before we go to sleep, we're like laying down, and then you hear, uh-uh, 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 turn the light on. He's like, I need to pray. I'm like, okay, let's pray. Sometimes just in the middle of like playing in the afternoon, he'll just want to pray. I was like, okay, that's weird, but <laughs> that's fine. Um, and uh, so he's been the biggest reminder for me to pray lately. Um, so I think kind of to tie everything together um, through my experiences, I think the biggest thing I've learned about prayer is not that if I pray hard enough, I can convince God to answer the, to my prayers. Okay. What I've learned is that when I pray, I need to start asking God for what he wants me to pray about and find what his will is. Um, becoming a, a physician or an ER doctor wasn't the ultimate answer to my prayers. It wasn't the end goal for uh, what I was praying for or what God wanted me to pray for. His calling wasn't for me to become a doctor. 
that was not what he wanted me to do. Um, but being a physician is, is a tool that allows me to share God's love with patients. Uh, working in the ER, I often take care of patients and families that are experiencing some of the worst days of their life um, and uh, times of their greatest need. And his calling for putting me in the role that I am is to share God's love in those situations. Um, and I believe that's why he called me um, down this long road, um, and that's why I'm here today. Um, so I think going through, maybe a little bit hard to read, um, but basically it's a Bible verse. And it says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads with us, or for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Um, so why do we pray? Um, I would say to ask God for help in little and big things and to thank God. Uh, to find out what he wants us to pray for, uh, to find out what he loves, what breaks his heart, and what he's passionate about, and to align our prayers and goals to match those things. Right? And how do we pray? Um, I think the first thing we need to do is forget all the rituals, forget all the formalities or what we've been taught, and we need to seek God's presence. Um, be intentional in finding times to pray, whether it's setting aside time or knowing that, um, I think Rosemary yesterday was saying she has a commute to work and that's the time she uses to pray because that's her quiet time away from her, all the kids and stuff like that. Um, I would say learning to pray alone and in groups is important because we need to learn to pray with each other as well and encourage each other and support each other and writing things down. So it helps you remember, helps keep you focused when your mind is wandering after the first two minutes um, and it also helps you see what God has answered. Because as you write things down and you're going through the list, you're like, oh, this one got answered. And I think you'll be amazed by how often he does answer our prayers and we forget that we even prayed for those things. Um, and, the, and because of that, we think God isn't working in our lives. Um, and then I think even if you feel like you are terrible at it, just keep trying. Right. And next one. Can you just sit next, Eugene? Yeah. So what do we pray about? So I would say we need to ask for the Holy Spirit. Uh, we need to ask God what he wants from us. We need to rely on God's strength and not our own. We need to pray for what only God can do and not just for small things. And we need to pray having faith, believing that things will be answered. Um, next slide. So nobody's born uh, an all-star prayer person, right? Like nobody's born an all-star basketball player. Um, maybe some have more innate talent than others, but you still have to work at it and put work into it to reach your peak potential. Um, and I think prayer is like that. It's, it's like a muscle or a skill. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes consistency. It takes intention. Um, and the same thing for prayer. Um, so... There's some, I, and I think a lot of times when people, you get asked to pray in public or, for my example, getting asked to talk about prayer in front of a whole bunch of people who I think are much closer to God than I am, um, there's something called the imposter syndrome, right? Um, and basically, 
in the left circle, um, it says, for imposter syndrome, this is what I know and this is what I think others know. So that green circle is what I know and the, green, or the yellow is what other, I think others know. When in reality, what I know is maybe more, maybe less than others, but it overlaps with a lot of people, but not, nobody knows everything, right? And then the next slide, so there's types of imposter syndrome too. So one is the perfectionist. It says, I should deliver a perfect performance 100% of the time. Uh, my work must always be an A. Um, and some other people, to compensate for imposter syndrome, um, they go the expert route. If I were really smart, I would already know everything I need to know to do this. Um, the third type is a soloist, which says, I believe that true competence is equal to my own unassisted achievements. I must do everything myself. Type four is the superwoman. If I were really competent, I would be able to do it all and do it easily and well. And number five is the great mind. I judge myself on ease and speed. If I were really competent, it would come quickly and easily. And I think this is what we think when we think of people who are really good at prayer, right? It comes easily. Um, it's something that they're able to do really well um, 100% of the time. Um, it's what I am able to do. Um, but in reality, I think it's more like this. So there's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. So I'm kind of nerdy, so this is why we're using a lot of graphs and, and theories and stuff like that. Um, but number one, it says, pretty sure you know a whole lot and feeling great about it. So if you see on the, uh, the x-axis, wait, is it the y-axis? The y-axis, it's conviction, so how much you think you know something. And then on the x-axis is knowledge, how much you actually know. So when you don't know much, but you think you know a lot is number one. Number two is questioning whether you actually know that much. And then three is acknowledging that you don't know that much. Now down in four is what they call the insecure canyon. So feeling ashamed and embarrassed about not knowing that much. And then five is grown-up mountain. Realizing that knowing how little you know is the first step in becoming someone who actually knows the stuff. Right? And I think this is the same thing with our Christian life and the, the curve for our prayers. When we're little, we're taught to believe, you pray, God answers. And then in, as we get older, we realize, God's not answering the prayers that I want. Um, so, you know, you get insecure, and then you're like, well, I'm not praying, maybe I'm not good at praying, or I'm not praying the way I'm supposed to, and that's why God's not answering my prayers. And then you start feeling ashamed and embarrassed. But as you grow, um, you start realizing that not knowing and asking God for help is the first step into growing. Um, so what I want to do today as we speak, and this is also a challenge to myself, um, but I want to challenge our church tonight, the Loma Linda Korean SDA Church. Um, I think most of the people here today have been coming every day, so I think there's some interest or need for the people here um, in prayer. Um, but let, I want to challenge our church to become a church that's founded on prayer and grounded on prayer. We have a lot of programs. We have a lot of talented people um, with experiences and gifts. Um, we have a lot of resources. So let's allow God to use those talents and those resources, not just to build our own spiritual life personally, not just to build our church, but also for the community around us and the world around us. Let's get passionate about prayer. Let's become leaders in prayer. Um, let's not just have prayer as like the transition time between praise and sermon 
Um, but, uh, and not just like a blind, meaningless ritual, um, but let's be founded on deep and meaningful prayer. And let's, as a church, start praying to ask God to uh, teach us what he wants and not just what we want to pray about and to learn about what he's passionate for, what his heart is longing for. And let's pray to bless us, overflowing beyond what we can ask. Um, And let's ask for God's amazing power to be unleashed and to do things only he can do, beyond what we can imagine. Um, And I think it all starts with a prayer to ask for faith and to ask God to teach us what to pray for. And it only takes a few people who who are honestly and earnestly seeking. Um, And with God's grace and mercy, we can see it grow. Um, It doesn't require super-duper talented people, um, but it does require people who will make themselves available um, to do this. Um, Let's see what what God can do with our little mustard seed of faith, and let's see him move our church, and let's see him move mountains with our church. So do you guys remember that number that I told you at the beginning? 3.007. That was my final GPA at the end of my my college career. So when I was applying for med school, I was still in the twos. Um, I had no medical volunteer experience. I had no research. I had no solid recommendation letters. I have absolutely no right to have ever gotten to medical school. Um, But I'm here. So if God can take someone unqualified, unprepared, um, and as just in the position that I was and get me to where I am now, he can take the same people who feel the same way about prayer and turn people into experts, into PhDs in prayer as well, right? Um, We have a pretty good number of people here tonight, but I believe that if we pray asking God for help, that next year that this number will grow and at some point, people will start coming to our church because they want to see what, how to pray. They want to see how and why God is working in our church. And we can, be a t- a sc- we can be educators and we can be leaders in prayer um, and showing people just how, God, how powerful God is. All right. So let's pray for the Holy Spirit tonight to encourage and push each other to Uh, to achieve the full potential that God has created us for and has planned for us. Thank you. you. All right. Um, 